0: Hello, oh, and welcome to Box Cutters episode 338. Hello! Handle me with care. My name is Josh Canal. <laughs> Hello, Josh to- Canal! To-, to my left, John Richardson. Hello,
1: listener! <laughs> <laughs> to my right, Brett Copley. Good evening, viewers. Good evening, Brett! <laughs>
2: John's so excited.
1: This episode is interactive. Only for you I know, but people at home could do it You can see the the Twitter band on the bottom of the video (laughs) podcast Tweet now, tweet now And we'll put your Twitter across the bottom of our podcast It'll come up immediately
0: There is. I almost said there is no podcast (laughs) 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 There won't be (laughs) If people don't behave Coming up later on in this show We have uh, Mr Selfridge uh, is a, a TV show that we're going to be reviewing later formal. on. Formal, very formal it TV be, show. Has to be said like that, Mister Selfridge. Uh, we uh, we're going to interview Chris Rankin, uh, an advertising creative from uh, the the probably the golden days of uh, of TV advertising, and you know he's he's got your your hits of TV advertising from the seventies, eighties, and today. <laughs> So, uh, so we're going to talk to him later on. We've got some uh, letters to box cutters. One, one very special letter to box cutters. got one thing. We've got pork. Oh, we have one of the top ten podcasts in Melbourne, according to Time Out magazine. Oh, are they coming in as guests? No, no, no. Oh, it's no. Us. No, it's no, no, us. No, 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 no <laughs> us. Ours. Oh, yeah, it's us. We have that.
1: It's box cutters. Time Out magazine <laughs> says, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. In this room, <laughs> in this room three of the top ten Melbourne podcasts. Oh, That's much time out of
1: magazine. One third. Yeah, Thank pretty you. much one third of all Melbourne podcasts are just us. Well,
0: because um, <laughs> another one has Paul Verhoeven on it, so
1: we're pretty close. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it could just be that maybe the Melbourne podcasting seems really small. I don't know, but yeah. I don't
0: know, they're definitely something that they that they failed to mention. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely, at least one, <laughs> at least one that they failed to yeah. mention. Uh, Sweetest Plum did not get it, did yeah. not get it Actually, mentioned. Actually, Green Guide
1: Letters wasn't on there, right?
0: Yeah, the uh, Green Guide Letters was, wasn't on there. So uh, we should be quite honoured. Let's let's not downplay it too much. Let's uh, <laughs> sorry, let's, Steel. <laughs> let's leave the uh, but sorry, Steel, but That is better. And it's I think that's how it works. One one podcaster, one, one podcast that I've got uh, has only had an episode zero. It's in the top ten was What were, an episode! There were seven other
2: spaces Steele could have taken.
0: Yeah, he could. He could have, yeah. and uh, and chose not to we didn't take them all. Uh, uh, and and news to to both me and John: neither of us know the writer of the yeah, article. Yeah,
1: because so yeah, we just assumed that it must be someone who was a friend of ours. But no, no, was a no, genuine
0: independent Brett, third party. Brett, do you know? Do you know what? No, there's the Time Out magazine. <laughs> Well, that that answers that. So, uh, you know, congratulations to us. It's only taken 338 uh, episodes to be
1: to be, uh, be recognised. Oh, also, according to Timeout, we have apparently sacked Glenn Peters. Sorry, Glenn, you weren't listed. This
0: is uh, isn't this also how Andrew Richley found out? As always, though, we are going to kick things off with the box cutters news. ABC Radio rang me the day that this this news item was was announced and said, uh, look, we're just, we're just trying to get some in- information for, uh, for the drive show. Do you think that uh, Foxtel getting first rights to BBC content is going to be detrimental to the ABC? I said no and gave about six minutes worth of reasoning why it really shouldn't be. And they went, oh, well, thank you very much for your time. Mm-hmm. And I never heard from them again. Mm-hmm. Foxtel uh, has purchased the rights to, uh, to the uh, first dibs at all BBC content.
1: That does not include Doctor Who. Yes, yeah, so first dibs, everyone went, oh, except for the ones the ABC really wants. Yeah. Um, but it is weird that it, basically they get to have first go, not only first go, but they get to have it for, I think, a year, at least a year before yes. the ABC or anyone else but the ABC wants Gets to buy it. Right which is quite a full-on... And they're planning, I think, to make their own BBC America-type station. And well, they probably call it BBC Australia. That's going out of limb, but that's... I the- want it to be called BBC America Australia. <laughs> BBC America Down Under. But it is, it is kind of fascinating because... It's also fascinating because I actually think that BBC content is less prevalent on our screens now than it used to be. There's a lot it's-
0: more Channel 4 and a lot more ITV. Yeah,
1: and- if, if anything, it seems that they're downplaying it. So it's odd that now you would want to try and make that particular deal. Doctor Who was obviously the big one because I think that is the highest rating out of all the the BBC drama that the ABC buys these days Uh, because repeats of QI (laughs) (laughs) Do they buy them as repeats? Do they call it? The reason
0: I think this is a great great idea for Foxtel is one, they got a lot of uh, a lot of press about it uh, and a lot of press on the ABC about it so that's that's huge. Two is the BBC content goes in waves and at the moment they might be in in a lull but the chances are that there's going to be some great bbc must see television coming up uh the the third is that they're taking things that people are used to seeing for free and putting them on their service so that if people actually want them they're going to have to pay so so doesn't it stand that the
2: viewers here of Australia are the losers in this negotiation?
0: Absolutely not. Seriously? Seriously, the viewers of uh, the viewers in Australia, the
1: highest
0: pirating yeah, nation I was say, in the world. All, all this
1: is going to do is increase more piracy because we don't pay for telly in a cable model. I I don't think it's going to push people towards Foxtel. It might push them towards the BBC's iP- iPad app. iPlayer? Yeah, which mm-hmm. is very good. Um, yeah, I, I must, look, I I think it's interesting, but I think Foxtel's still working on a kind of 10-year-old model that doesn't really stand up.
0: Well, it it does, if you take into account how good Foxtel's new uh, iPad app is, mm-hmm. uh, and the idea that with a subscription, you can watch whatever you want, wherever you want. Okay. Uh, the idea that there are lots of people who, uh, like Brett, have said, well, I only pirate it uh, because it's not available here Uh, and if it was available here and I had to pay for it, I would pay for it, Uh, that uh, if they're doing day-and-date releases of BBC material, then that argument of, well, if I could pay for
1: it, I would pay for it, kind of falls out the window. Yeah, same with Game of Thrones on ivy or uh, Mad Men. On iTunes. 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 Uh,
0: so what we're seeing now are reasons reasons to throw that argument out of the window. And uh, and I, I think it's, it's kind of just a call to the pirates of Australia to say, well, it, are you going to stand by the claims that you've made for the last eight years? Mm-hmm. Or are you just thieves who just want to continue thieving. And a lot of people are just are, are going to say, well, we'll just continue thieving. Thank, thank you very much. Which is, I, you know, I'm not going to say that's, that's fine. I would have rathered that people were honest to, to start with. Uh, but I think at least someone is putting this theory to the test. And they're doing that with iTunes. And they're doing that with, uh, with Foxtel. And uh, as is it detrimental to the ABC? Absolutely not. No, I, I don't think, think at all. We've already discussed how, how much of the good stuff is coming from the three Channel Four channels that all being repeats have. of QI. Which, yeah, which doesn't matter if they're a year old, right? Because they'll still be they're repeats of QI. Timeless QI is timeless. Is <laughs> what you're saying there, John? So look, I think I think this is fine. I think it's going to put uh, it, it's it's going to put uh, Australian viewing to a test and uh and give me an opportunity to malign Brett without giving him the opportunity to respond and i think that's i think that's good for everyone speaking of the good old days how much how much do we wish that we could just watch tv on twitter or whatever <laughs>
2: <laughs> only if it's maximum 140 characters josh surely that joke was
1: better in rehearsal. Yeah, yeah. It was quite funny before. Now it's weird. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so this is a this, this is a thing that happened last week. Now last week, Twitter uh, announced their music service, which was for people who wanted to listen to music on Twitter or whatever.
1: <laughs> I'm understanding less and less about, well, about the web. This is the world you live in. I this know. is this is your job, and yet you you've got there's some stuff. It's happening. I'm actually. I realize. I I'm, have- I'm getting genuinely excited now about the fact that for years we've been saying how broadcast television is dead because, you know, it is. And yet now we suddenly have this Wild West thing going on. And it's like, you know, in the 50s or whatever where people who had no broadcasting experience We're just setting up television stations and filming stuff. It's really exciting because Twitter is doing something with television. Amazon currently has pilots up for, I think they've made four pilots for different TV series, and you can vote on which one you want to go to a full series, and they'll be like buyable from Amazon. One of them's based on Zombieland, one of them's by The Onion. It's, a, um, it's about like a frontline style thing about The Onion News team putting together The Onion News. Uh, we've got Xbox have announced they're bringing heroes back. <laughs> God. Um, that's, that's another bad decision by Xbox. No, but Xbox is bringing heroes back to watch on your Xbox. Um, the revival of the sci-fi series will feature new characters and stories and will bring in heroes from the show's original run which lasted until 2010 in cameos. Uh, that's according to TV Line. But is thing- Tim Kring still going to do it? Oh, probably. Because that's a bad idea. But like, yeah, it's not going to be on my telly. I don't care. I don't even know what an Xbox is. But I'm just excited about the fact that there's all these really new approaches. And just because it's the thing we've been talking about for so long, I keep appearing on panels at, like, Acme and stuff, saying, oh, it's going to be crowdfunded and people on the internet and things. And I thought I was talking nonsense. But it's all true. It's all coming true. And I'm just really excited about it. So, so, Brett,
0: let, let me get this straight. John is excited because the bullshit he used to say... <laughs> In public, not is just now used to. T- <laughs> three weeks ago, <laughs> is now is now coming true, and he still doesn't understand it. <laughs> so, t- according to this, according to this article from the Hollywood Reporter, Twitter is going to uh, uh, Twitter is is in talks with uh, Viacom and NBC Universal, who have access to a lot of television content, to put television clips. On Twitter and run ads <laughs> alongside them. It's, it makes no sense. So they're going to no, be in like a three-inch no. It makes no sense. But, it's, but isn't that awesome? Timeline? Don't
1: you don't you genuinely think just for a moment that there is this amazing explosion like this week of craziness going it is, on it
0: is nuts it's like twitter twitter announced uh earlier today that the day that we're recording that they're in talks with sewage companies to <laughs> get as much shit as possible to throw at walls and see if it sticks i can't
1: see how that would be any different to twitter now <laughs> oh, no, but I, 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 140 I, characters <laughs> hey um but no I, this thing, I think i think a lot of this it is bewildering Yeah, you know, i don't know how it's going to work but some of it will yeah, a lot of it will be a disaster. But some of it will go, oh, I get that. That makes sense now. You know, and I think that's really interesting to see what's going to come out of this and what's going to work. Oh, absolutely. I, absolutely. I think, I think it's exciting. I think I want to just go to sleep for 10 years and wake up when it's all done. Though. No, look, that, that could be fair. But uh, David Ashton um, from Sample and Hold, who's been on the show, he was saying the other day that the fact that Netflix started off with House of Cards mm-hmm. is actually... Like, that's the excitement of this. The fact that the people are starting off aiming high. Yes. Like they're not saying, let's do a reality game show people might want to buy for pennies or something. They're going, no, we're going to try and make really good content. And I think that's going to be really interesting to see which bits of this work. Yes, Heroes, maybe not your favourite, but still the fact that you're starting with Heroes. You know, like, that's really interesting to choose something like that. Do to be-
0: Beyonce saying that song about, about Heroes... Uh, which was, if, if you liked it, then you shouldn't have put Tim Kring on it.
1: 140 characters! Yay!
3: <laughs> <laughs> and that
0: is the box cutters News.
3: Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. You are in at the beginning of something amazing. The very best that London has to offer. We are going to show the world how to make shopping thrilling. Good morning, Mrs. Selfish. I want merchandise that people will desire. I want merchandise that people don't even know they will desire until they see it right in front of their eyes. We are going to dazzle the world. Yes, Mrs. Humphreys. So You've been creating quite a stir, haven't you? We're giving them style, glamour, razzmatazz. We need to put on a show. We are making history here. They should be battering down the door. They should be swarming all over us. Pack your bags, ladies and gentlemen. Go and bring the world to Selfridges.
2: Mr. Selfridge, opening soon on ITV1.
0: Mr. Selfridge uh, is based on the book Shopping Seduction and Mr. Selfridge by Lindy Woodhead. In 1909, American Harry Selfridge wanted to bring a new kind of department store to London. He did. It's commonly called Selfridges. You might have heard of it. This is the story of how that happened, and Jeremy Piven plays the headstrong Selfridge, with Francis O'Connor playing his wife, soon to be long-suffering. This period drama is kind of more about duplicity, secrets, class, and ego than it is about the twentieth century or early twentieth-century commerce. Much to my chagrin, uh, we we get to see the fictionalized lives of some of the staff of Selfridges as well, like. Agnes Tower, who is played by Aisling Loftus, who is uh, a, a shop clerk trying to protect her brother from their no-good drunken father while also trying to become a young woman of the world. That's the kind of story you can expect from uh, from Mr. Selfridge. Most of the acting is excellent in, in this series, and it looks... Really beautiful, really rich. A lot of work has gone into the sets and the uh, and, and the costuming and and makeup. It, it all looks magnificent, but it's kind of let down by uh, the writing and, oh, of course, Jeremy Piven, who is god awful, just absolutely unwatchable. Everyone else great. Jeremy Piven just just terrible. Uh, And it's created by Andrew Davies Who wrote a little thing you may have heard of Called House of Cards Uh, But it has none of that Excellent tension And if you look at the rest of uh, Andrew Davies' CV It kind of reads like a year 12 lit class (laughs) With uh, these adaptations Of George Eliot and Henry James And Jane Austen Uh, Have have I I summed that up Accurately? Gentlemen we, We have not Often done a, a period drama, and John, you insisted foot stampingly. No,
1: this is look. This is partly because every time I come on, you're going, "Hey, we've got another comedy about miserable people who hate each other. Let's watch that." And I was going, "Can we watch something nice for a change? Can we just watch something nice?" And also, I, I thought we've never, I couldn't remember us ever having reviewed a period drama before off the top of my head. No, no, uh, no. Something not no. this type of the Americans. Oh, we did um, cavemen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but not this kind of you know big costumey, very very traditional English drama. And um, you mentioned you know how beautiful like the sets and the makeup. So the sets are, are incredible. I should mention there's a, they've built like a full size replica of this. There's actually because I look, I enjoyed this. I'm gonna say I really enjoyed this in a way I probably wasn't expecting to. And it is so old school, even down to the fact that they have yeah. built a huge replica of the outside of the department store in Kent. They've built the inside of the department store. There's Either little or or so well done little CGI that it's kind of it feels very solid, mm. like yeah, you know, which is is quite impressive and different for this sort of thing. Um, Jeremy Piven has a beard and is therefore very pretty. Uh, it's the the Jeremy Piven has a beard show we like to refer to it at home. And I actually disagree. I think Jerry Pittman's actually really good at this. I really enjoy it because I think he is exactly what the character is meant to be. Badly acted. Well he's but, a he's a blustery well, showman who's trying uh, to cover no, up. No, I'm not sure that he
2: is badly oh. acting. I I think that I think that Ari Gold in, in the nineteen aughts uh, doesn't really fit. But if you if you if you forget about everybody's doing doing Accents and and speaking in the ways of the the age, and he's in there in, in his contemporary kind of West Coast um, US But that, but that is the point,
1: though. That's the point of that character. Yeah,
2: but but even like Americans didn't talk like that back then. Yeah. So so if you forget about I've that, which I Deadwood, have, which I have. <laughs> um, it's uh,
1: it, it's not terrible acting. Because he's a Barnaby, blustery showman character, and that is what he's doing, which I really like. Because, again, the the joke is partly that all these English people who are all a bit terribly, terribly, are a bit like, good Lord, this man is awful, and are trying to make this thing work. And he has no idea how the culture works. He has no idea customs. One thing I was disappointed by, and you mentioned this, is in the first episode, he goes into a traditional department store. And it's horrible. It's really dark. It's depressing. Everything's hidden away. You're not allowed to see anything. He gets this woman in trouble by actually demanding to see some <laughs> of the merchandise. And I would have liked a little bit more of that to put into context what he introduces. But the fact that Sherman Shaman thing is like, you know, he brings in... There's a, a gentleman who flies the channel. He brings in the plane. Uh, later on in the series, he gets Arthur Conan Doyle in to do a book signing. All of this was apparently true, too. It's all real events that happened mm. in Selfridges. That I... I really enjoyed. It. And you haven't mentioned all my favorite character, who is, of course, Lady May Loxley, as played by Catherine Kelly, who is just <laughs> awesome. And I think, I think if you're not enjoying Catherine Kelly, then kind of picking on the acting of, of Piven sort of misses the point. Like I think Piven and Catherine and, and Kelly know exactly what this is. I'll I, mean, say I, th- I, think, I think the scenes, so the scenes with the two of them. I'm amazed there's any scenery left. Yes, but that's, I think that's right. I think that's the show it is. And Lady Loxie's all like, go, oh, your husband certainly likes that lady from the theater. There's Does no, <laughs>
0: there's no, there is no subtext in the dialogue. There's just, there's, there's, uh, it, it's, it's like, it's the nudge, nudge, wink, wink sketch from Monty Python. That, <laughs> <laughs> Everything is just so overt in in this, and it's it's fun. It's it's a fun show, and I didn't hate it as much as I thought I would from the ten minutes that I
1: saw months ago. Well, this is the other reason I brought it up because we I can't remember if we talked about this or not, but this idea of when is good enough, good enough. Like there's always this sense of and people and, yeah, and people listen to the show for this reason, but that thing of. We're always saying, you know, is it as good as Mad Men? Is it as good as Deadwood? Have and you found out why people listen to this show? <laughs> well, it's one of the top ten podcasts mm, in Melbourne. That's, true. To time out, that's true. But you know, there's always that thing of, of uh, you know, uh, sometimes you know, like when they asked Frank Sinatra about, you know, sleeping around when he was married to Mia Farrow. And he mm. said, why go out for a hamburger when you have steak at home? It's because sometimes you want a hamburger. Mm, mm. And that's what I mean. I think this show is an excellent hamburger. I know it's not. Mad Men, but it's not trying to be Mad Men. I think it's gorgeous to look at. I I've really enjoyed it too. So I really enjoy... I think it's given me enough insight into the time through the character of, uh, of Agnes Taller that that's kind of interesting. Who I, I, who I really liked. I liked Agnes Taller and I kind of wished... I wished it was the Agnes Taller show. Well, she's the viewpoint character, which
0: is clearly the one we're meant to be following. Because I, I loved House of Elliot, right? Do, do, do you remember that show? I remember Louise Lombard and some other people, but mostly it was Louise Lombard and me. And, uh, and, and just a beautiful show to watch. And it was about uh, – it, it was kind of similar in that this is an American trying to bring uh, American styles to, to England – that had never been there before. And House of Elliot was an attempt to do uh, French-style couture mm-hmm. in
1: London. I have to admit, I only really remember the French and Saunders parodies of, of <laughs> House of Elliot more than the real thing. So I go, oh, these hot pants will never catch on. Evie, it's between the wars. But uh, I, I do think <laughs> this is exactly House of Elliot, though. That's what I mean. This fits that exact same comfort food television and the thing is, it's not cynically done. That's why it's it, not. It's, it's not cynically done, but it doesn't have. It doesn't have the heart that I was looking
0: for. It. Uh, I, I found myself wishing it was more about early ni- early twentieth century commerce than <laughs> uh, than this annoying uh, annoying American who just uh, lied and winked at people.
1: He is very pretty, but it's
0: <laughs> and but, maybe and
1: maybe that's maybe that's my problem. Maybe Jeremy Piven is is your Louise Lombard, right? right. Possibly, yeah. But things I think it's fun. That's, I genuinely think the show not not just fun, but I think everyone making it is aware that it's fun. You know, even in the depressing bits, even when you know the the, the dodgy father comes up, there is a slight operatic quality to all of it that I think everyone working on it is trying their best to make a really good work that's not deep, but Still solid,
0: and and in in that way it is. Uh, what, what's that? Uh, what's that radio farming uh, soap opera that The, the arches? arches?
1: It's kind of it's kind of like yeah, the arches. I can kind of see that. What it reminded me most of, weirdly enough, was upstairs downstairs. Not the the new version, but the seventies version. Yes, which uh, when I came back from living in the UK, it was at my local library on video, and I started watching it, and was surprised how much I enjoyed it because uh, it had a slightly educational aspect to it, as well as sort of just soapy stuff. And it reminds me a lot of that, and I didn't realise too that Andrew Davies was as old as he is. I didn't realise that he started writing.
0: Six, he was born? He started yeah.
1: writing in 1980. His, his, his first TV work was actually from 65. He wrote a lot oh. of um, Play for Today kind right. of things. and yeah, A form that doesn't even exist anymore. He started off on television writing those, And I kind of like the old schoolness of this show as well. I'm kind of enjoying that. Mr. Cropley, you haven't said a thing. What do you think? What do you think? I, I defend uh,
2: defended Ari Gold. It's uh, <laughs> true. He did. Yeah. He did. Given given Josh's obvious dislike for it, uh, when he instructs us to have a look at it, do we really have to? <laughs> yes, we do. Mm, it's written on the show notes. <laughs> I walked into this uh, expecting very expecting nothing, expecting not to be able to to handle it. Um, I, I found. The first couple of episodes quite long; they they felt long around them. Um, but in the last twenty six hours, I've watched eight and one third episodes, and I did not want to turn it off. Oh wow! wow. At four thirty this afternoon.
1: Wow. Okay. So that that's yeah, you've really got into um, it. So, so I, a, lot, a lot of
0: people in Richmond did, went without their coffee this morning. <laughs> <Thursdays>, except, <laughs> actually, day off. Um, uh, I
2: w- I was I was kind of surprised at how emotionally drawn in I was. Uh, Two, it's so I, I had two instances of being a little bit teared up, um, and also I think that uh, for a store, for a, a show about a department store, there's there's as much departments of story that that we're following. Through oh,
0: the I see what he did there in 140 characters. <laughs>
2: yeah, it's it's not it's not it's not impossible to to follow where each of the characters are at, and there's
0: there's a lot of kind of different. It's, it's- it's 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 not impossible to follow anything
1: in this show. It's, it's not it's not a comp, it's not a complicated show. No, but this is the thing. It does open up as it goes on. Like you were saying, it gives you more. Like here are the guys that work in the storeroom, and here are the guys that work in the office. Here are that. Like so, you actually do get this increasing scale of the show as well, which I think is done quite well.
0: One of the things that I really enjoyed about the show was how uh, how much it exposes low level corruption, how there is corruption in every single and so so when when I talked about the there being uh duplicity and secrets and and ego, those things are in almost every single scene mm-hmm. and uh in terms of in terms of writing a good soap opera mm. this is this is a, a great example of, of that and i think uh I think yes as 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 it goes on and and those corruptions uh those those coru- corruption chickens come home to roost. Uh, it could be it could be a, a lot of fun, and you could easily kill off the character of Mister Selfridge and have the store and the people within the store
1: oh, yes. continue yeah. on. Now, has this fun. only
2: come about because uh, to jump on the
1: bandwagon of the success of Downton Abbey? I suspect it does. It's an ITV PBS co-production. And I know that PBS a few years ago uh, was getting very upset that the the things that really work on PBS are big period dramas in which everyone speaks terribly nicely. And when the English stopped making those and started making lots of shows in which people spoke with regional accents and real accents, the Americans were very disappointed. They started actually funding their own, which I think is quite interesting. That was around... The turn of the century. Uh, so around ninety nine, two thousand, I mean, PBS started actively producing their own period dramas to fit that. So around criteria. say Darling Buds of May. <laughs> yes, around that. Um, and so it's interesting that this is very much that, I think, an ITV, PBS. It's just started in America. It's doing quite well. I think everyone's kind of going, it's no doubt NABBY. Like, I don't think it's meant to be. I think it's doing a slightly different so, thing. No, no doubt NABBY. That's about NABBY. This is about a shop. Exactly, yeah. And it's already been commissioned for a second series. So clearly it's it's working <laughs> For what it's trying to do,
2: that that was one of the things for me watching the first episode. I was, I, I just had no idea how they were going to proceed with it through the ten episodes that I, that I had, and and really hoped that it wouldn't just turn full fully soapy. Which for me, it, it definitely has hasn't. I, I still wonder if if this is an ongoing, uh, multiple
1: season show that it might. I don't know how far it going, but then also, I, I don't know anything about. Mr. Selfridge's actual life, and I don't know how much of this is based on. From what I can tell, apparently, it's it's the gist is quite accurate. In that you know, he apparently did start a shop, came from America, started a shop, and and did you know did have his eye on the ladies and all that sort of stuff. So it'll be interesting. I guess it would depend partly on how much happened in his life and how much you want to actually follow that. But yeah, I can't I can't see it going for like seven seasons or anything. But. Yeah, a movie. Yeah,
0: <laughs> uh, where can does anybody know where
1: Australians can see Mister Selfridge? According to Wikipedia, Channel Seven has bought it.
0: Sounds sounds like a Channel
1: Seven thing. Yeah, yeah, and I imagine it'll be yeah. so you can
0: watch it in between the ads.
1: That'll be great. Yeah.
0: Hi, this is Lawrence Mooney. I've been on the telly, and if you are into televisual delights, then there is only one show you need to be listening to, and that's Box Cutters. Get your ears into it. Apropos of that very cart, Lawrence <laughs> Mooney's birthday, the day that we are uh, re- recording. So, happy birthday, happy birthday Larry. Uh, that is apropos of not our guest Who is Chris Rankin the, uh, <laughs> Look, you might know him as, uh, as as Man About Town You might know him as the Chalk Sign Man of Bridge Road, Richmond <laughs> But we have him in at the studio with all of his experience Mostly, uh, Brett, Brett introduced him to us as The guy who came up with the sickem Rex Commercial. Uh, you've, you've worked in advertising a long time, Chris. Th- thank you very much for coming to Box Cutters.
3: I should explain this, and this is very important. I didn't actually write that final script. What I did, and I've done it with a number of commercials, uh, the RSPCA one for the uh, All Creatures are Great and Small, and many others, uh, I should explain it in detail. In the advertising industry, particularly 20 years ago, Many ideas were bounced around from creative people within different agencies.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And concepts were often spoken about over a, a lunch or a after-dinner party. So some of the stuff that I did was plagiarised by others and some of the awards that I missed out on were claimed by others, and this happens quite a lot or used to happen quite a lot. I remember a particular episode where... I was credited with something that I didn't actually do but won an award for it. And I've had other situations where I've written the actual commercial and somebody else has claimed the award for it. Hang on, Chris.
1: Did, did you, are, you, are you saying here that you took the award, though,
3: when it was, no, when it was no, given? No. no, it sounds like you I've, I've never actually taken an award for something that I didn't write, but I know others that have taken stuff that I have written and put it on their wall. But I'm over it. But it's okay. We've moved on.
0: So, so is, that a, is that a roundabout way of saying you did not write the
1: Sikkim Rex ad?
3: I, I actually came up with a concept that was the essence of that commercial. So a echidna on a woman's leg was your, was yeah. your concept? And similarly, at Leonardi and Curtis, I spread a very good idea about the RSPCA commercial because that's where it was produced. Similarly, I did a Jurox commercial that I actually wrote that somebody claimed that they wrote. And it won an award. But I actually got the award for that, thank goodness, because the person came clean. You
1: know, I've got to say, this is I know not where you were originally planning to go. <laughs> no, no, this no. Interview. But <laughs> I'm really curious, because we were talking to you before the interview started, and I'm a huge fan of Mad Men. Right. And it, it sounds... I'm surprised how realistic Mad Men is now sounding. Is. The amount of kind of infighting and... Oh, and look, it
3: happens all the time. I don't think uh, it's too different from the real world of the, world of the 70s in Melbourne. That essence of the camaraderie and the fighting and the pinching literally happened in Melbourne as well. I think it's a very good overview of what was going on. It seems way more heightened, though, in the ad world than, say, in
1: television in, in general. Like Television production doesn't seem to be quite this extreme, from no, what you're
3: saying. no. Look, I think the best days in Melbourne of the advertising industry, pre-Macintosh I'm talking now, were probably the 70s and mid to late 80s. Then the Mac came and changed everything. How? Well, if you could buy a Mac, you could go home and do the entire thing. You could be the art director and writer in one person, and many did that. The fact is a Mac can't think a creative positioning. It can create. You can do nice things like Photoshop and all those things and nice typography, but you actually can't write and create. But many people thought, "Well, why am I doing in an agency working with an art director when I'm a writer? I'll go and buy a Mac and go home and do it myself." And this has happened over the last twenty years. And I don't think the standard of advertising has increased. I actually think it's gone down. So you think
0: you think television advertising is? is I don't worse think it's than it's as good.
3: Was- a, I don't think it's as good as it used to be.
0: What What do you think were the great ads of? Of that day, of the 70s and the Well, 90s. I'll
3: give you three brands that I think were exceptional. And luckily, I worked in an agency that had one of them. I think some of the stuff that Wholeproof did in the 70s and 80s was outstanding. So you're going to
1: be caught with your pants down? Well, campaign, let or? me go
3: through a few of the brands. <laughs> when I was at the palace, we had Britt Eklund literally fly over and do a pack called Wholeproof Sheer Tops. She was naked. And a great photographer called Peter Goff took a shot of her holding her breast sideways and all he could see was the long legs. It was advertising pantyhose. This was the new fashion. That took off like a rocket because we used Brit Eklund. It wasn't the, it wasn't the product, it was her. And this was, you know, the old story about perception becoming reality. W- women saw themselves as Brit Eklund. We had underdacks for boys, caught with their pants down, a very famous commercial Mm. that's still used. They still actually used the concept that Lionel Hunt and Gordon Trembath created back in the 70s. Then they had a range of socks. I remember a fantastic idea that Gordon Trembath did at the palace. He went out and had his secretary buy every brand of blue jeans available, Levi's, Wrangler, and all of them were slightly different coloured denims. And he said to Holeproof, I want you to match the colour of each of these jeans. And it was a range of, say, 20 different denim socks called Boot Hill Blues. And we used a tombstone. I remember again the tombstone card by Gina Rally in Carlton. And the display was a tombstone. It was called um, Holeproof Boot Hill Blues. And it had the range of 20 different coloured denim. And you could match your Wranglers or your Levi's. Great idea. Then computer socks. Jack Vaughan wrote a commercial with Isaac Newton where he sat in a surgery talking to a guy about gravity. Somebody at Whole Proof had invented a reverse weave that meant that socks wouldn't fall down. They actually fell up. Jack thought, oh, it's anti-gravity. We'll use Isaac Newton. The client rang and said, get the commercial off air. We can't make enough socks.
0: <laughs> this campaign was so... Uh was so exciting to me as a, a, as a child because it it incorporated two two of my favourite things, which was te- television and, socks. and science, and so- uh, <laughs> or, or science and socks, yeah, yeah. And, and vector graphics and vector graphics. Uh, so so back you, you're mentioning you're mentioning names of people who worked on both television and print. Hmm. Uh, is is that still the way that that advertising works where people will work on either? Or is it is it a lot more focused
3: now? Well, traditionally in major agencies, you would have an art director and a copywriter working together. The account executive would go to the client, come back with a brief, translate all the information to the creative guys. Rarely the client would actually see the creative guys. So we rely on somebody else, like you, to come back with all the information, incredibly important role because if they can't translate it, you don't get it right. Mm. So then you would, might get six weeks to do something and it might involve looking at Harold. You might ring Harold Mitchell and say, right, Harold, we've got $20 million. Where do we spend it? Which media do we buy? Harold might say billboard. He might say radio or a combination. So you gather all this information together and you present to the client. But sometimes clients don't listen. I remember in particular when I was at Ogilvy and on a major paint brand. I wrote a script called Going Back, which was literally the story of my wife and I going back to a hotel room. I'll tell you the commercial in a sec. But the brief was that this interior paint would last on the walls guaranteed for five years. Mm-hmm. So I actually thought, well, why would you spend time, and this is the clue, I guess, showing a sheepdog, showing a paintbrush, the ladders, the drop sheets, because everyone hates that process. That's not what it's about. If you put your mind in the mind of the consumer, what actually happens? Your wife chooses the colour, the guy does the work and pays for it. And when it's finished, she'll walk into the room and say, "Darling, that's fantastic. That's the payoff. So I actually wanted to show the result not the process
1: you're actually you're advertising not painting yeah that's right yeah you're you're
3: advertising the the period you cannot do this exactly yeah so this this is what happened i present a script called going back and i'll give you the script now so you understand it and i'll show you the argument i had with the marketing manager of the major paint company there's a couple probably 35 in a beautiful honda in a sunlit alley in the country and they're driving along and she says to him darling how long before we're there and he turns to her and he says, oh, five minutes. And they go to this wonderful mansion. We actually shot it at the Orange Golf Club in New South Wales. Beautiful Victorian villa. And uh, she knows where she's going, this woman. You can pick up that she's been here before. She actually runs ahead when she gets out of the car. The husband follows and the concierge brings the bags, right? We never see a sheepdog. We never see a paintbrush. We never see a ladder or a drop sheet. That's bullshit. That's not what people get as a payoff. So she runs down the hallway almost. He follows her and the concierge, you know, is putting the bags away. Then it cuts to a simple rose petal dropping onto a doily. And she goes to the door of this room. She knows the room. She's been there before. She goes inside, goes to the curtains and grabs the curtains and flings them open and the camera reverses and you just see the light go across a beautiful coloured wall. And the voiceover says, Dulux, new satin, whatever, because the room should only change when you want it to. Now, I presented this script to the marketing manager of Dulux. And he says, we're not doing it because my wife doesn't like the script. And I've got the creative director, Martin Doyle, sitting right next to me. I'm waiting for support here, and I'm not getting a word. And I said, will your wife paint the room? is your wife a painter? Do you see the market we're talking about? He said, oh, no, no, well, you know. I said, no, that's a fair question, Steve. Does your wife paint the room? I knew the script was right. We actually made the commercial in the end. The best film director going at that stage was Ray Lawrence. He'd just done Bliss. Mm -hmm. He rarely does commercials. He saw the script and said, I want to make this. It's fantastic. And I wanted him, and he was going to cost a million bucks. And it went to air. Big success. But I'd since resigned and gone to J. Waller Thompson because the creative director did not support me. I actually walked out. So, you know, there's sometimes when you go to the wall to get your idea up, especially when you know it's going to work. This guy didn't know what he was talking about. He thought that because his wife didn't like the script, we wouldn't make a $6 million commercial. It's bullshit.
1: Can I ask you about the money? Because it, it feels to me like there was more money. It sounds to me from the period you are talking about there was more money going. There was. There well, was. So why why were the budgets so much
3: bigger well, then? Well, what's changed is this, and I was talking to Brett about this before. In the late 90s and early, you know, 2000s, there was a major international alliance. Kraft would make a commercial in New York. It would run in Australia. It would run in England. So all the... The local agencies didn't create anything. Coke, worldwide, did one commercial and it ran everywhere. It killed St Kilda Road. It actually killed the agencies. That's when everyone bought a Mac and went home. Right. That's when I went home. That's when I started a company called the CIA, the Creative Intelligence Agency.
0: So do you think that the the problems that television stations are facing now... With uh, with their advertising and the Falling quality of revenues, yeah, and and the quality of advertising that is that is on television compared to the quality of advertising that we had in the seventies and eighties, uh, and the uh, and the lack of service that all, all of those things are intertwined.
3: I actually think consumers are getting very smart. I think they're becoming more and more demanding. They're getting bigger choice. So they're making big decisions about the true people of who they want to buy from. They don't like being lied to. I don't. If somebody says it's always cheaper at Coles, I simply do not believe it. And uh, I don't want to be critical of Safeway's product, but they're not the fresh food people. Mm. Where I live, Toscanos are. You know, if... People actually told the truth. If you find, and this is the basis of my business, an indisputable truth about the brand, you can't go wrong because you're under constant public scrutiny. If you tell lies, they know. We've said that advertising is getting cheaper, but
1: it's also uh, whole sections are disappearing. We're probably not going to see one of those huge epic twisties um, ad campaigns no, again. I don't uh, think you will. Anything on that scale. And there was a really interesting article in the on the AV Club website uh, last week, I think, about the future of broadcast free-to-wear television. And mm-hmm. one of the things it said was um, sort of product, not product placement, but uh, branded television in, like, you know, the Colgate Hour, that sort of 50s approach
3: to yeah.
1: Yeah. putting the name of the actual product into the, the shelf. Into itself. the shelf, yeah. yeah.
3: And that worked very well, too, by the way. The pick box was a good example. Exactly.
1: Too. And, and you, you know, if people can still illegally download it, but they're getting the ads. If, oh, sure. You know, it, it falls intact. What do you think the future, then, is? How do you...
3: I think the game's changing totally. I mean, in my time, we've seen the internet. I've gone from fax machine to iPhone. Huge technical change. And with that, everything changes. The way people buy changes. The way people advertise changes. They have to. You know, I can do everything I want on my iPhone. I can create ads. I can do anything on my iPhone. And I can do it anywhere. So the days of... You know, going down St Kilda Road, waiting for the brief to come in for the client, waiting for the executive to come back from his girlfriend's lunch and getting a brief, those days are over. What a client will do now is take the best, cheapest option. Whether they get the best result is the question. What I do, I solve the solution before I go in. If I go in cold, I've got the answer to the problem. Advertising is about solving problems. Because as soon as you solve one for a client, they give you another one. That's how you retain an account. It's about solving problems. Like any industry, if you fix the client's problem, they give you more. So I think the whole game's changed from a technological point of view and also the way that clients spend their media money. Media buying's changed too. You know, the traditional let's buy a poster, radio, television campaign – those days are gone. Now it's Facebook, Twitter. It's a whole new ballgame. So what should Channel 9 say to you? Say you're Channel 9, I think Channel 9 is in trouble.
1: Is there anything you think freeway television can do?
3: Well, you look at newspapers. They're dying. They're literally dying. I think within my lifetime, the next 10, 20 years, when I'm gone, they'll be dead. They won't exist. You look at the changes in book selling. You don't have to buy any paperbacks. You can read the whole thing online. Why would you buy one? That's going to happen to the advertising industry too. What's going to happen, I think, is that clients will buy somebody like me to work with in their organisation again. This is how it used to be in the 60s. They'd have an in-house advertising guy and an in-house marketing guy. Then it all changed and they bought outside. I think it's going to go back in because they have the ability to do that now.
2: So do you think with the new technology, we're looking at the death of, of the big agencies?
3: I think that's true. You know, the heyday of Mad Men was big agencies, 240 on staff, long lunches, fucking everything that moved. Those days are gone. I think it's in-house now, maximising the amount of money they spend and spending it more wisely.
0: Well, Chris Rankin, you, you have told us so much uh, about advertising where we're, we're going to have to uh, process it all with all of our knowledge about, about television, work it all together, and then probably just go and kill ourselves. <laughs> uh, but if you, if you wanted some advertising or signage with uh, conceptual and creative thinking... Why don't you give Chris a call at uh, Black Sheep 499 844 We'll also have that phone number on our website because Chris does not have a website of
3: his own. I don't need a website. <laughs> Thanks, Josh. Thanks so much for joining us, Chris. Thank you. have a
1: letter. You read it? You're a godson. No, I'm I'm just the postman, the postman, the postman, the postman,
0: the postman. Brett Cropley, would you care to read out this week's letter?
2: Hello, box cutters. I am currently editing your latest episode and I wanted to express my opinion on people being thrown together by producers to make sketched comedies i agree this is a terrible idea and that's obviously why none of us have ever heard of monty python who were expressly put together as the bbc thought they might make a good show together boy they must be kicking themselves now anyway i should stop chatting my computer and continue editing but just wanted to drop you a line long time listener john
0: well thanks john thanks for uh, for for that letter if if uh, John was here now, I would say uh, you make an excellent point. I actually thought that uh, the, the Monty Python crew came together on their own because they knew of each other's uh, expertise from beyond the fringe and and
1: and other groups but uh, have since been uh, told that I'm incorrect I've actually not done any research but I was shouting at my computer quite a lot while editing that episode I thought you know let's have a go but no a I, lot, as, a lot of I, people I, there were a couple of writing writer duos in there th- some of them already knew each other and I think a lot of them knew each other but it was the BBC who, who actively put them together and then I also think threw Terry Gilliam at them and said do a thing I think also and I need to check this I could be lying but smack the pony I think we're also constructed right. in that manner as well
0: the uh, the uh, a few people, a few people commented that they were screaming at their uh, at their radios. Let's call it that. Uh, the uh, d- during that episode, some going, "Oh, women comedy shows! What about French and Saunders?" <laughs> yeah, good point. Also, uh, apparently, it wasn't Linda Gibson and Jane Turner. It was the it was, ABC one. It Was, uh, it was uh, Linda Gibson and Marianne Fay? Mm-hmm, yes. Uh, and three non-blondes I
1: threw in there as well. Yes, and and there's was was the uh, UK. English pr- prank-based sketch comedy, or Women.
0: So, look, just generally I want to apologise for last <laughs> week's episode. It was like a world of, not necessarily misinformation, but lack of research.
1: I think though there was still a fair point that was made in there that Courtney was... What, was, what's, was there? ...was what's talking there? about the fact that um, the, the answer is not necessarily to have all women sketch comedies being presented as, hey, it's the all-women sketch comedy. Like, yeah, the, the better thing would be just to have equal numbers of women in these sketch comedies. And Women as equals? I've never heard <laughs> such a thing. <laughs> yes. And in fact, I was listening to, there's a podcast called Verity, which is uh, about Doctor Who. Um, is that all. one of the uh, top ten? Not in Melbourne, because it's not made in Melbourne. Oh, okay, uh, okay. But it's, it's all women. Losers. Uh, Tansy Raina Roberts from, from Tasmania is one of them. But uh, they were talking about... Oh, she's uh, great. About, she's great. They were talking about Cold War, which was this one a week ago set on a Russian submarine. And one of the people was saying it's not, she's not disappointed that it's an all-male cast because it's set on a Russian submarine in the 80s and that kind of makes sense. But what disappoints her is she knows there will at no point be an all-female cast episode coming up that will balance it out. Like Doctor was never going to do an episode which is a majority of female characters or actors. So it's just that thing of she knows we'll get all-male a- episodes, but we'll never get any kind of equivalent or even close to that which I thought was a fair point. Email
0: us, hooray, at boxcutters.net or use the Contact Us link on boxcutters.net, the website, and tell us all the reasons that you are angry. Or just leave a comment on the blog. People love leaving angry comments on the blog. Be one of them. Brett Cropley, if you were going to watch one thing this week, what would it be? I've made a resolution this week, Josh. Are you going to watch more Mr Selfridge? I am going to finish off the season,
2: Um, but uh, something that I used to watch religiously. Uh, Songs
0: of Praise? 140 characters? Yay! But it was on a Sunday. Uh, Insiders? Oh, we you know. did used to watch that religiously. Yeah. And then Andrew Bolt came on and you started watching him <laughs> religiously. No, never watched Andrew Bolt. There's a, there's a
2: podcast version uh, of the audio hmm. of it because it also goes out in audio format on news radio.
0: In, uh, in, in the iView version, do you still get up and go make a cup of tea during the talking pictures <laughs> segment? <laughs> that, that, it tells you to do that. Oh, oh interesting. Comes text on the book.
1: John, if you were going to watch one thing this week. I know we keep mentioning this, but it is so good. Mad as hell at the moment. How Sean good is it? Having an upcoming election is actually making it even better than it has been. Sure, the election is still six months away, as the, the doomsday e- clock tells you every episode. The next election is always coming up. But this one, though, is just... Is, just because th- I, think, I think they're really angry. I think this show is being propelled by anger disguised as humour at the moment. I think that's brilliant. I think it's working really well.
0: It is, it, it, it is. The disgust comes out on the screen. Yeah. I think that's
1: the best ad you can could, you could have for it. I think, yeah. I think Chris would be very happy with that. The disgust comes out on the screen. Man I, as hell. I also think they're going to do something by the end of this run, which is always clever when you can, you can change this forever. I think eventually people will not be able to say Barnaby Joyce... Without. Is that the Chattanooga the <laughs> yes, I think that's going to end up being in everyone's head when Barnaby Joyce's in, name is In said. the same
0: way that I still cannot hear Bill Shorten's name without thinking he's a tiny dog. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I am going to watch the... Cele- thanks for asking. The Celebrity Apprentice uh, on Tuesday at 8.40. Is this the American Celebrity Apprentice? This is apprentice? the Australian Celebrity Apprentice. What, what? And oh, really, you chuck these people in a room together, you're bound to get some eyeballs being poked out. Fifi Bucks. <laughs> Craig McLaughlin.
1: Craig McLaughlin's too famous now to do a celebrity thing, yeah. isn't
0: Yeah. But but if Craig McLaughlin was a football player, who would he be, Brad? Uh,
2: Dermot
1: Brereton. Correct. correct. jack Jackson. I know correct. nothing about football, and I knew that Dermot Brereton was the
0: correct answer. So Dermot Brereton, Jeff Fennick, Brian Mannix, Peter Everett, Peter Burner,
1: Prue McSween, Stephanie Rice. Dawn Fraser, two Olympians. Oh, no, Dawn Fraser is actually famous, though. That's, that's, that's a genuine famous so person. So, Stephanie
0: Rice. Yeah, yeah, yeah less so. M- Millsy. Yes. I, I just think they've, they've really gotten together the best train crash group <laughs> that they possibly could, because they understand. They understand exactly why people watch The, the, uh, the Celebrity Apprentice, and that's to see uh, people who once could have been role models be exposed as complete egomaniacal nutters. It's so much fun. Oh, yeah. When's it on, Josh? Eight forty Wednesday, nine o'clock Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Tune in for nine o'clock because it's going to be twenty minutes of coming up that uh, <laughs> that you could easily miss out on. Uh, and uh, and Mark Burris is uh, is still the uh, uh, the rich man that they all try to be like. Mm. He was a home loan something or other, mm. something guy.
3: Something. Hey, um, when I cast my pod.
2: It's with the box cutters in mind. Box cutters. Pod. Cast. Done.
1: Pork is on the table. I love the way Brett didn't even bother waiting for you to finish. He was just bored. He was just going to... sounded like like he
2: was... Our (laughs) very good friends here at Triple R are having an April amnesty, and uh, if you want to help us by helping them, and you're not a subscriber to the station, you should... uh, Seriously, consider it. Check out uh, rrr.org.au. uh, for the list of prizes that you go into the running for and, uh, you know, reasons to do it.
0: There are a lot of prizes. What yeah. if what if
2: I am a subscriber?
1: Yeah, can I be angry? at these people getting prizes for nothing? Yeah. I never got a prize for being yeah, a subscriber. Yeah, and I you
0: subscribe can, when I was meant to. You can have as many subscriptions as you
1: want, Chuck. These illegal subscribers coming here on their illegal radios. And so we should point out the word illegal is wrong, and I'll go, no! Mm, um,
0: Nellie Thomas, our, our, our good friend uh, Nellie Thomas, is doing a... Uh, an evening called Storytime for Grown-Ups. Uh, it's, it's the first of the of such events. It, it is on the 8th of May, Wednesday the 8th of May. Doors open at 7pm. Uh, there will be wine and cheese, possibly no cheese, uh, on sale on, at the night. It's hosted by Nellie Thomas. Uh, readings of actual stories by these people. Richard Higgins from The List Operators, who if you've ever had a chance to see live, Hilarious and and wonderful. Casey Bonetto, who you may remember from writing Keating the Musical. And Uh, uh, also a co-host here on Tuesday night, Superfluity on Triple R. And the cast of Talking Poofy. Scott Brennan, Toby Sullivan, Sullivan, Adam Adam Richard. Richard, And occasionally Wes Wes Snelling. Snelling.
1: But he's kind of on the outer orbit of him.
0: I can't listen to it. I can't listen to to that show because I don't know what's real and what's not, and too many of my friends are on it, and it's just it's just I don't want to think of anyway. Uh, proceeds from uh, from this evening story time for grown ups go to the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation, so you can be entertained and do a good thing all at once. We'll have details of
1: that on the blog. I've got two Splendid Chaps geeks. Splendid Chaps of course, one of the top (laughs) ten podcasts in Melbourne according to Time Out magazine. Now this is this is
0: your this is your regular podcast about Cowboy
1: legwear—that's the one. Cowboy legwear, splendid chaps. No, some people did get worried when I first announced it, Going, Is it some sort of dodgy leather thing? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's—it's about Doctor Who. It's rhinestones. It's about Doctor Who. A, about Doctor Who. Uh, we have two shows coming up. One is a special event. May fourth uh, uh, is part of Geek Week at Darabin Libraries. May fourth because May the Fourth be with you. Ah, Star Star Trek Day. <laughs> Yeah uh we're talking about Dr Who and books and in order to tie that into television one of our guests will be Lawrence Lynn from Unbelievable and uh the other show you did for the ABC Choose show. Your Own Adventure. Choose Your Own Adventure. Who will, in fact, be doing something Choose Your Own Adventure related. Uh, and then two weeks later, on the Sunday, May 19th, we have our regular monthly edition looking at the fifth Doctor, Peter Davison, and the concept of fear in Doctor Who. One of our guests for that will be Tegan Higginbotham, um, who you may remember from whatever happened to that guy. See, there you go. I've well, connected she, it to TV. She, well, she was. She was the daughter. Oh! Oh. Yeah. Going to be at the public bar um, across the road from the Vic markets. Oh, if great. You Splendidchaps.com. You'll find all the details for that. Or boxcutters.net slash
0: episode 338, where we'll also put some uh, details or at least links to the Splendid Chaps website. Whichever is easier for you to remember. Who, who cares? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, too uh, too famous now, John, with the being in timeout twice.
1: <laughs> I was in Time Out last month as well, by the way. Were uh, you? There was a tiny, tiny, tiny Splendid chap's picture on the gay page. Uh, and it mentioned uh, on the big gay, you know, like, oh, big gay things you could do for Comedy Festival. Big gay things. Go see Ben McKenzie and friends in their show. <laughs> so, yeah, Ben McKenzie got outed on the pages of Time Out magazine, uh-uh. which, uh, you know, his girlfriend was very disappointed. <laughs> but about time she knew. She ended to know eventually. It did and, make and, him more yeah. fabulous. <laughs>
0: That brings us to the uh, uh, Hitler also not gay.
1: No, so Ben McKenzie no.
0: being gay, anti Hitler. Right. Yeah. Brings us to the end of Box Cutters episode three hundred and thirty eight. <laughs> I want to say thanks very much to Chris Rankin for coming in and regaling us with uh, stories of uh, the advertising hits of the seventies, eighties, and today. Mm-hmm. Until next week. My name is Josh Canal. Hi, Josh
1: Canal. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Look at that! You bookended it. You bookended your um, surprises. Yeah. I've John Richards. Goodbye. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I continue to be Brett Cropley. Bye,
0: bye, Brett Cropley! Thanks for listening
2: to Boxcutters. You're welcome. It catches again next week, okay. same bat time. Yeah. Same bat channel. I'll put it in my diary. And hey, let's be careful out there
0: cutters is produced by josh canal with brett crockley and john richards and help from courtney Hocking and dave lawson john richards edited this episode peter wilson from soup giant is the man behind making sure you can actually download stuff he's good that way we'd like to thank three rr the greatest radio station in the world for letting us use their studios to record this podcast find them on the web at rrr.org.au or 102.7 fm if you listen to radio the old-fashioned way If you enjoyed this podcast, you can show your appreciation by leaving a positive review on iTunes or maybe just telling some friends what they're missing out on. You can also donate actual cash money to us by using the donate button at the top of our website. Donating helps keep the show alive and makes us smile. Our website is boxcutters.net and you can find all sorts of ways to contact us
1: there. Is Pete Smith coming? Is it going to be Pete Smith? Like, Will it be a surprise Pete Smith? Will Pete Smith happen I'm it to be like a surprise? I'll be like, hey, here's a thing and it's Pete Smith and I went there with Pete Smith. Is it going to be Pete Smith? I wonder who it's going to be!
3: Hi, this is Pete Smith. You've been listening to or have just missed Box Cutters.